You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beautiful gift of the Bible. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us in the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus also said that your word which is the Bible, is truth. And so, Lord, we wouldn't attempt to understand the great truth, the great depth of Scripture without asking for the Holy Spirit today. So we pray for Him. We plead for Him. We ask Him to come and move upon our hearts, lead us closer to You and closer to an understanding of what You would speak to us in these last days of earth's history. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Some very, uh, the title of our message this morning is The First Lie and the G-O-D, the Little God Who Replaced God. And I'll just tell you right now, who do you think the little G-O-D is? It's not Satan, it's you. And you're going to find that to be true today. Let's go on. Very interesting statistics. I mean, when I, this, is all, this subject has actually always been a passion of mine. In fact, I preached a sermon on this at camp meeting a number of years ago when I was the early morning speaker. I preached this, uh, a similar message to this in all of my churches, and I'm, a very, I'm very passionate because I believe that many of God's people in the last days, in His last day final movement, are deceived by this topic. And the devil is very good at making things Uh, that are very deadly seem cute and innocent, especially in the last day of of verse history. Not just cute and innocent, but very attractive and appealing. And so it's my desire, truly, to help us open our eyes to this subject and make sure that we are not going to be deceived by it. But as I studied in preparation for this, I haven't really preached this sermon in about, I don't know, four or five years. I was blown away at the statistics that I found in the last few days. I mean, my, my, my mind was blown. I just could not believe it. You're gonna see it right here. A 2017 Pew Research survey found that 62% of Americans say they hold New Age beliefs. That is six out of every 10 Americans believe in some form of New Age, whether it's tarot cards or a psychic or some kind of witchcraft or occult practice or whatever it may be, six out of 10 people in America today would say, would actually confess that they believe in some kind of New Age practice. Now that doesn't go to say those that would not admit that, right? So this probably, that number is probably actually even higher. 25% of Americans today claim to be atheists. Atheists, to have no belief, very mind-blowing. And the numbers of Christianity is, is, is declining. Of Protestant Christians and others, it's declining and as this increases, including a belief in astrology, phys, uh, psychics, and the presence of spiritual energy in inanimate objects. How many of you have ever heard of these crystals? They're becoming very popular. These crystals that people are wearing, and uh, someone was telling me just the other day about her friend who... Um, who was uh, getting answers to life from this crystal. And she had this crystal and she would swing it and she would ask it a question. Is my name so-and-so? And it would reveal the answer, yes. Should I uh, look for a new job? Yes. Should I uh, eat uh, such and such today? No. 
and it would give her the answers. Very mind-blowing what people are getting themselves into these days. Newsweek also recently put out an article is, that stated that the number of Wiccan witches across the U.S. increased from 8,000 in the 1990s to over 1.5 million in the year 2018. They now outnumber the Presbyterian Church at 1.4 million. There was a number of articles about this, that witches today actually, and just in the United States alone, this is not globally, this is just in the U.S., actually outnumber the Presbyterian Church. I'm not picking on the Presbyterian Church, I'm just saying because that's what the article said. But that's mind-blowing, wouldn't you say? Christians are even becoming outnumbered at this new epidemic. USA Today reports that in 2001, there were 134,000 self-identifying witches. By October of 2021, that number had increased to more than 2 million, with many of them coming from young women. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. So you look at this stats and how this growth has been explosive, and not over the course of 100 or two or 300 years, but just over the course of the last 20 to 30 years. 1990s, there were about 8,000 known witches in the United States. 2001, 100, over 100,000. Uh, I'm sorry, that should be 2008. 2008, 340,000. 200 and, uh, sorry, 2018 had grown to one and a half million. And in today's year, 2022, more than two million just in the U.S. alone. Very mind-blowing. Leadership Magazine, which is a Christian magazine really written for pastors and leaders, recently published a whole issue of, on satanic influence and the occult. They have had thousands of letters by ministers requesting help and assistance with this problem. So pastors are writing in saying, our young people are being swallowed up with this stuff. We don't know how to deal with this. People are trying to bring these things into the church, claiming that they're Christian. What do we do about it? It's really becoming a crisis in our church today, and it's even becoming a crisis in the Adventist church, and sometimes we don't even realize it. So going a little bit deeper here, uh, just talking a little bit about Wicca. How many of you have ever heard of Wicca? Wicca is a, is a modern form of witchcraft and sorcery, witches and warlocks, and uh, it's really wrapped around nature. And we're going to talk about it some today, a little bit more later in the week. But I want you to notice this. From the same, uh, same article in USA Today, Wicca has no universally accepted Bible or regimented mode of practice. And the only tenant widely adopted by Wiccans is harm, no, harm none and do as you what? <clears throat> now, how many of you see that phrase, do as you will, and you recognize that from somewhere? Where do you recognize it from? That's right, Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley was a modern mystic, occultist, and bisexual adventurer known to his contemporaries as the great beast. He lived in the early 1900s, and he is labeled by many as one of the most wicked men in the history of humanity. I mean, he was just, he was just it was just mind-blowing that this man had no, no boundaries, no lines, no filter, and he just continu uh, he continued to get worse and worse, and he was a very deep-practicing occultist, and he developed this phrase 
and people began to make t-shirts and all this type of things. Do what thou wilt. Now, as Christians, do we believe in do what thou wilt? No, in the Lord's Prayer, the Bible says, Jesus said to God his Father, thy will be done on heaven as it is, I'm sorry, on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, Jesus said, when he was about to go to the cross, but what? But thy will be done. So as Christians, we have a mantra, we have a principle that we live by, a biblical principle, that God's will would be done in our lives, God's will would be done in the earth, and ultimately God's will would be done in this great battle of, of the great controversy, yes? But Aleister Crowley came along in the early 1900s. He was kind of the birth, really, of modern, the modern will of contemporary occultism and many uh, of those type of facets. But he has this theme do what thou will. He developed his own school of mysticism, magic as he called it, summon its users to embrace the imagination and to do what? Glorify the will. This is actually taken right off the back of the book that you see there, which is for sale. <clears throat> and I won't even tell you where it's for sale. I don't want you to buy it. I don't want you to read it. You just listen to the seminar and that's enough information. You don't have to get into all that stuff. So, there's an interesting draw among young people. And this, this idea of do what thou wilt, to reject the current authority, to reject contemporary re, uh, religion or Christianity, and do what thou wilt. And in occultism and in Wiccanism and in modern spiritualism, there is a draw for young people to this because of this very thing. Notice this article again in USA Today. Berger agreed that a big draw for young people who have felt disenfranchised from organized religion. Isn't that interesting? How many of you know some young person that's been disenfranchised with organized religion? That must mean that organized religion is terrible. It's really, really bad, right? No, it doesn't. You know, rarely do the things of God appeal to the carnal mind. The one that would, uh, the freedom that God would give in submission to his will is viewed by the carnal heart as restrictive and forceful. But in fact, it's really the ultimate freedom, you understand. And so they're disenfranchised from where In the world today, we have this mantra if you don't like something, or if you're offended at something, then there must be something wrong with that thing, whatever it is. I mean, because, you know, you wouldn't be offended if there was something, everything was right, if it pleased you. And that's the mantra of the world today. So if, organize, if, if the truth of the Bible doesn't please me, if it offends me, then there's something wrong with the Bible. If you don't accept me as I am, then there's something wrong with you. And that mantra is, is, is climaxing to a head at the end of time. And guess who the world's going to have a problem with in the last days? Bible-believing Christians who follow the truth of the Scripture, who have the faith of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. The whole world that disagrees with each other now will one day unite itself together and turn upon those who love God supremely. That's the bottom line. So, going back to this. Now, notice this. This is very interesting that these people can find what? Healing and what? 
camaraderie in the witch community where everyone can do their own thing and it's accepted. Isn't that interesting? The ultimate mantra of this age is to do what thou wilt. And it is one of the boldest separations and forms of rebellion from the God of heaven in the last days of earth's history is to do what thou will and think that there's no consequence and there's no accountability and there's no one to answer to. Do what thou will. And they find that. And, and it's, I think it's so interesting that they use the same words that the Bible uses. Healing, camaraderie, community. That's interesting. Because that's really what people are looking for. Disillusioned by organized religions from the Boston Globe, millennials and Gen Zers are more likely than any other age group to eschew traditional worship in favor of amorous spirituality. Amorous, I'm sorry. Or nothing at all. For these generations raised on a steady diet of Harry Potter, we'll talk about that later in the week, and a stable internet connection, witchcraft and new age practices are a source of comfort and spiritual fulfillment in increasingly fraught times. What, uh, what is it? What do they view it as? A source of what? Comfort and spiritual fulfillment. Now, the Bible has something to say about this, and I find it very interesting that almost the same language used in some of these articles is used in the Bible. Notice this. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, this is 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Isn't it interesting that exactly what you're reading there is what you're reading here? In the last times, the Bible says there'll be all kinds of trouble, does it not? And people are turning away from the truth to find comfort and alternative means. Now, I wanted to tell you that any time this week you see that picture of that Bible in my slide, you know it's a Bible verse, okay? That's, that's, my, that's my theme for this week, is you'll, you'll know that that's a Bible verse, and you'll see the reference up in the left-hand corner uh, for that Bible verse. Just, just want you to know that. But are we seeing a fulfillment of this prophecy today? What do you think? Oh, absolutely, friends. There's no doubt about it. So what exactly is the attraction to these things. What is it that young people are looking for? I didn't put this slide in, but several of the articles made the statement that young people, even though they are abandoning Christianity, they're not abandoning the idea of believing in something. That, that to me, speaks volumes. Because young people today, they want to believe in something. People of every genre, except maybe atheists, even atheists though, they want to believe in something. They're just grasping in the wind at what that thing is going to be. Is that, you follow that? And so many people are looking for it. What's the attraction? Notice here, we, we read this a minute ago, but I want you to see these words again. They're looking for comfort and they're looking for spiritual fulfillment and troublesome times. And let me tell you, friends, we have the answer to that, don't we? But I believe today <clears throat> that in many ways the church has succeeded, but in other ways it has failed. It has failed in many ways. And we're going to talk a little bit more later this week what the picture of true love looks like because we in these last days of earth's history, even in our own church, 
have a very distorted view about what love is. And in the book, The Great Controversy, that distorted view of love and that distorted understanding of love is taught as theology today, and the book, Great Controversy, calls it nothing but spiritualism. And we're going to see that on Friday. All right. Notice this. It's, uh, this is an interesting thing from the Boston Globe. This is quoting this young lady who's involved in witchcraft. It, it's low stakes. There's nothing negative in this type of approach to spirituality. It's all just about like energy and the universe, she continued. Visiting a psychic, she added, it's more like a fun version of therapy. Life feels less chaotic, unplanned, or unreasonable. What's the harm in it, she says? It's just fun. Now notice this statement. This is from another young man who wrote a book on witchcraft. He says, there's a sense of wanting to be what? Don't miss this, because we're going to come right back to this at the end today, and I'm already running behind. There's a sense of wanting to be empowered and have what? Control over one's life and one's destiny in a political climate where things feel very grim and hopeless. It is a path, he says, for me, witchcraft partially is a path of what? Empowerment. So on the one hand, you have certain groups of people who are drawn to this because it provides comfort and spiritual fulfillment. On the other hand, you have people that are drawn to it because it is a form of self-what? control or appeared self-control. It is a way to have control and empowerment. We're going to see that in the Bible today. There's all kinds of these types of programs and, and, and events all across our country today. If you look closely at them, it's very, very scary. I mean, this is one that took place just, I don't know, about two weeks ago at Staffordshire University. And you could go there and apply for that, the Witch Fest of Midlands and the witch, uh, Midlands Witchcraft and Pagan Festival and uh, just happened two weeks ago, and they're happening all over. Just in Tennessee, I don't know, maybe two months ago, I saw one of these things at the state park three miles from my house. They were having this big festival thing there, and I said, well, we're not going to hike there this Sabbath, <laughs> right? And so this stuff is everywhere. It used to be years ago that you would walk into a regular bookstore, maybe Barnes & Noble or whatever, and on <clears throat> the front shelf, you would see right when you walk in the door, shelves and shelves of Bibles and Christian books. And way over in the back corner, under a dark shadow, you'd find this, this little, maybe one or two rows of books like this. Now, today, and for many years now, you go into one of these stores, and what do you see? The exact opposite. You see, staring you at the face, even in the corridor of the entrance, all these books on witchcraft, sorcery, occult, Harry Potter, whatever you want. And then way back in the back of the store in the corner, you find maybe two or three little Bibles. How many of you have ever noticed that? And it's become pervasive in our society. People are obsessed with zombies. They're obsessed with vampires. They're obsessed with magic. There's a show called Sabrina the Teenage Witch that was really a catapult for young women to become involved in the occult that's just been out a few years ago. And a number of programs just continue to be developed, developed, developed. 
And we're going to talk about a number of these elements, not so much today, but later in the week. <clears throat> I remember a number of years ago when I pastored up in Traverse City, there was a zombie 5K. And uh, it, it, the little tagline was, um, it, said, it said like limp, crawl, or creep, or something like that. And you could dress up as a zombie and participate in a 5K right in my hometown of Traverse City where I pastored. And I thought about this, and I'll talk more about this this week, but what's amazing to me about the fascination with zombies is that this, it's this, bottom line. What people see on the outside of, with the zombie is how they often feel on the inside. The living dead. They have no hope. They have no no, no, nothing to look to, no source of strength in their life, no sense of power in their life, and they feel dead inside. And that's why they're drawn to that, because it, that's what it is on the outside. So we're going to answer a number of questions this week. What is spiritualism? What is witchcraft? What does the Bible say about it, and how does it view it? You know, the Bible says one, some of the strongest warnings that the Bible gives about any subject is about what we're going to study this week. Do you realize that? Witchcraft, sorcery, magic, the Bible is adamantly strong about it. And we're going to look at almost every verse <clears throat> from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to look at those verses. But the question is, in today's world, why is it such a big deal? We know it's all fake. We know it's not all real. Or is it? It really is. How does it play a major role in end-time prophecy? <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to see that. How is it impacting your daily life? And could you be under the influence of spiritualism through modern media and not even know it? We're going to see that this week. I'll tell you a quick story about Alan. A number of years ago, my wife and I were doing uh, Bible work together. and <clears throat> We were out on a Sabbath afternoon knocking on doors, doing surveys, inviting uh, people to come and study the Bible with us. And we met this particular man. He invited us in. And when we went in, we noticed there was just like this dark presence there. And we went in and sat down. And we talked with him. We lined up a Bible study. And uh, <clears throat> we, we, uh, we were going to come back in a week. While we were talking to him, sitting there, he, he, we noticed that the man was, was like very fidgety. He was just not in his right mind. He's just kind of, um, you know, just twitching a little bit and jerking here and there. And he says <clears throat> to me, so, he says, you live over in Inglewood. And I thought to myself, how in the world does this man know that? I had not told him anything about myself in that way. And I said, yes, that's right. How do you know? And he said, they told me. <laughs> and he said, they are not happy that you're here. But I want to study the Bible and I want to learn about, you know, how to get rid of this stuff. And so um, he was saying all kinds of things that were really creeping me out. So we went back for the first Bible study and we were going to do Daniel chapter 2. We we're going to show him how God is the God of history and how he's the God of our day today and how he can be the God of your heart right now. Amen? And so I was sitting there studying the Bible. And as soon as I got in there, actually, I went into his house. I went and sat down <clears throat> on, the, on his chair. And as I sat down, I just felt this 
presence just kind of like felt like it just pressed right on top of me. And I'm sitting there studying the Bible with him, and I realize that it's very difficult for me to get the words out. Like I couldn't, there were times when I couldn't even speak. And I looked over at Marion, who at that time was my girlfriend. She's now my ex-girlfriend. And my ex-fiance. Can you believe that? Because she's my wife. And, and I, just, I, I just looked at her and, and I said, I can't even talk. And she actually had to take over part of that Bible study until I could. And I could just tell that there was a presence there. And he, the more we shared, the more he twitched. And uh, when we finished, he said, you, you, you've got to go. You've got to go. They're just not happy. So we left. The next week, we went to do the study. And we were getting there just a little bit early. And I parked all the way down the street from where this man lived, around the, uh, down, around the corner and down the street, more than a half a mile down the street. And I'm sitting there kind of looking over my notes, and all of a sudden my eyes raise, and I see Alan coming down the street. And he's just jerking as he's, he's walking straight toward me. And he comes right up to my car, knocks on the window. I roll down the window. He says, I can't study with you anymore. He says, they told me to never bring you back or I would die. And he said, and I said, how did you even know I was here? They told me you were here and they told me to come tell you, you have to go now. And so we left and he actually ended up coming to a couple of nights of the meetings, but the man was so tortured by this that he, he just couldn't, he couldn't even function. And I don't know what ever happened to him, but it's very, very good reminder to me of the verse that I'm about to share with you, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so, friends, I'm telling you today, this is a very serious matter. And it's not just for people out there. It's for us right here. And, you know, I'll tell you stories that will blow your mind this week, but I want to tell them now, but I'm not going to. But we are wrestling. This is not just about teenagers going out and getting themselves into trouble drinking a little beer on the weekends, you see. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about stuff that sinks its claws into their hearts and will almost destroy their minds by the time it's through. And uh, we have to be serious about this. The Bible says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Amen? Now, what you find constantly in movies and programs and different things is a constant battle between good and evil. And there are many people today that justify watching certain programs or certain movies because they say, oh, it's just a battle between good and evil. It's a display of the great controversy. And I've had people, Adventists even, argue with me and say there's nothing wrong with movies like Lord of the Rings. There's nothing wrong with movies or books like Harry Potter. It's just displaying innocently of the battle between good and evil. And I'll tell you that the devil, that there is, <laughs> the great controversy is very real, you understand. And you'll see throughout this week that the devil is very vehemently revealing himself to the world through modern media in various ways. Many Hollywood movies today display the great controversy theme and present false concept in such a winsome way 
to gain the confidence of the viewer on the side of darkness, which is often twisted and portrayed as good or victimized. How many of you know that to be true? And in many modern movies today, there are lines of, 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 of things that are being said that are very biblical themes. And I will go on to say that some of these concepts and some of these, these scenes and ideas and thoughts are things that only Adventists know and understand from their understanding of the great controversy, which many people don't have an understanding of. And it's mind-blowing to see some of those types of clips. And so in today's world, the controversy is raging on, is it not? It's raging through media. It's raging through our decisions. Now, we're running out of time, so I want to go to Genesis 1 with you quickly. And I'm going to have to abbreviate some of this. My intros often take longer than I had planned, <clears throat> but I want, to see, I want you to see here. So we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden, and we're going to go back to the very beginning, and you're going to see from Genesis how this spiritualism was birthed and what it really is and where it comes from. So in Genesis chapter 1, what do you, what's the overall theme of Genesis 1? What is it? It's God creating the world, right? God creating the world. And he created the word, world by the power of his word, yes? And so the word of God is both creative and it's instantaneous, yes? And when God speaks, things begin to form and he's able to create things just simply by speaking. Now, what you see here is a very strong pattern. And that is that every time God created something, he filled it. Every time he created something, what did he do? He filled it. So the Bible says that he created the sky. I'm sorry, he created the earth or the heavens, and he filled them with stars and light. He created the earth, and he filled it with life. He created the heavens, and he filled them with birds and all the things that fly in the air. He created the sea, and he filled it with fish. He created the land, and he fills it with animals and life, right? And so you find this pattern over and over again that God creates, and then he fills. This was very powerful because it would demonstrate uh, his greatness, and it would demonstrate his power as creator and his goodness and kindness as a benevolent ruler. Yes or no? That makes sense, okay? So the whole universe would declare that. So every time God created something, he filled it. And every time he filled it, he said, it is what? It is good. So right from the beginning, God demonstrates himself as a kind, merciful, gracious, benevolent, benevolent ruler. How many can say amen? And everything that God created was created with the intent that it would not just be taking, but it would be also what? It would also be giving. And then the crowning act of creation was God creating mankind. And what did God fill mankind with? Huh? He also created mankind and filled him with his own presence. Genesis 2 verse 7 says that God created man from the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a living being. Isn't that a powerful thought today? God created and he filled, and even with man, he created man and filled him with his own spirit. And then on the seventh day, he rested, and he filled the Sabbath day with his presence. How many can say amen to that? All right. In Psalm 8, it talks about this. It talks about the glory of God through creation. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time. Uh, we were going to, but you can, go, you can write that down and go and read that. You can also read Proverbs chapter 8, and it talks about Christ and his part in creating humanity. But let's go, let's, I want to read this little statement here. It says, Men and women were created in the image of God with individuality. This is very important. With individuality, the power to think and to do. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. If a, if a ruler is a dictator and he's a power grabber and he is absorbed with himself, does he give those types of qualities to those that he rules over or he or she? No, they don't. If they are a very corrupt leader, a very self-absorbed, self-glorifying ruler, they will not give the power to their subjects to think and to do and also have their own individuality. They don't give that, right? But here in creation, you see God doing what? Giving that power to his creation. I'm very thankful for that today. And I could show you 50 examples just from Genesis chapter 1, if we have the time, where God is selflessly giving away his authority and his power. Now, through created, uh, though created beings, each was and is today an indivisible unity of body, mind, and spirit dependent upon God for life and breath and everything else. Very important, and it's a basic concept. It is absolutely nothing new for probably any of you here. But how much are we dependent upon God for in this life? How much? Everything. And that was stated very clearly and made very obvious from creation. So it's very amazing to me that you have two extremes on both ends. You have man who is created in the image of God, filled with God's own presence, his own spirit, who is able to think, to do, to act, to rule, to have individuality, and to be really their own person. While at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, being completely dependent upon him. That's mind-blowing, don't you think? I mean, there's like no other examples of that in the earth except for humanity and God. Very, very powerful. So we're dependent upon him for all else. And God performed multiple acts of unselfish interest that demonstrated his love towards Adam and his desire to see him grow, prosper, and thrive. This is a testimony of God's character of selflessness. Now look, I'll just go through these quickly. Genesis 1:26, God says, let us make man in our image. A dictatorial ruler doesn't want anyone else to be like him. He wants everyone to know that they are what? Beneath him. And yet God creates man and says, let us make him like us. 
in our own image. Of course, man doesn't have the same power as God and the same understanding and knowledge of God, but yet here's a creator who's making something like himself. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. He, he intentionally communicates to them that he wants them to thrive and to prosper and to grow. How many can say amen? See, evolution is a very chaotic process. It, 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 it's not organized. It's chaotic. And here you have an organization that is dependent upon order and beauty. And this is a testament of God's selflessness. Now, you look in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, and it talks about the seventh-day Sabbath. This is why the Sabbath is so important. It's so important because that Sabbath day that God established way back at creation is a reminder of our dependence upon Him. It's a reminder that we were created in His image. It's a reminder that we're to worship Him, you see. Very important. So God gave the gift of the Sabbath, a very unselfish gift. Genesis 2, 19 through 20. Look at this. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds in the air, and every beast of the field. And so think about this for just a minute. If you had a pet... Say you bought some dog for $2,000, and you invested money. You say, this is going to be my pet for the next 15 years. I don't advise you to buy a dog for $2,000. You can find dogs for free. Amen? Amen. Get one for free. Anyway, but suppose you did this, and you, you, you have this dog, and it's a cute little puppy, and you're just like, oh, man, it's the cutest thing on the planet. Let me go to the store. I'm going to drive into town, and I'm just going to pick some random stranger, and I'm going to say, hey, would you mind naming my dog for me? Take a look at him and see what, what name do you think he should be. And whatever you say his name's going to be, that's what I'm going to call him. How many of you would think of doing that? Nobody would think of doing that. Why? Why? Because you paid what? The price. Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? Sounds a little selfish that we would do that, but that's what we do. But here you have God who spent six days creating all the animals, and he brings them to Adam almost like a Christmas morning, and he says, I want to see what he's going to name them. And whatever Adam called them, the Bible says that was their name. Does that sound like a stingy, selfish ruler to you? What do you think? So you get the point here that the character of God was immensely established. Not only that, but a corrupt ruler wants everyone to be dependent on who? Him. And whatever crumbs he gives you, that's what he gives you, right? But the Bible says that God created Adam intentionally alone so that he would recognize that there was all these other animals that had companions, but he was alone. And so if God was selfish, he would say, I want him to be dependent upon me. But no, God creates a companion for him, and together they would love each other. So God, from the very beginning, was sharing the very love that he had in his own heart and wanting others to share that with each other. How do you think that's a beautiful picture of God in the book of Genesis? All right. Now you say, why are you talking about this? You'll see. Notice these four points, because we're going to look at these in the end in the exact opposite and that was the birth of spiritualism. Number one, man was created to rule over nature. To do what? 
to rule over nature in the authority of God. So man was to rule over the earth that God had established, and the Bible says this very clearly in Genesis, but he was to do it with the same benevolent kindness that God had done for him. Does that make sense? Okay, number two, man was created to rule over himself in the power of God. Man was to be submissive to the power of God in his life, and that power would keep him in righteousness and holiness. True or false? Yep. Number three, man was ordained to worship God as the Creator and know that he had no power in himself. And the Sabbath was one of the helpful reminders of that. Number four, man was created to look into creation and see that the same power God used to create the world was the same power that existed and it was at work in his own life. How many think those are great truths? Those are great things. Now you see in Genesis chapter 3, that got messed up. <clears throat> so let's take a look at that quickly. We've got 10 minutes left. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord of God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the midst of the tree in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You may not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. That was the very first what? Lie told on planet Earth. Yes? I mean, very plainly, it's not hard. God said, here's the garden. You eat of it freely, but this tree, don't touch it lest you die. God says, you touch this tree and you die. Satan comes along and says, no, you won't die. I mean, how, how opposite is that? And it's really probably quite a shock to Eve to hear those words because, yeah, but God said, I'll die. Now, many people think of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as like this dark crotchety tree in the corner of the garden with cobwebs and half-rotten fruit. And God says, now don't eat from that tree. No. If you look at verse 6, it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. Now if you look over in verse 9, it says, out of the ground God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. What was the difference between that tree and all the other trees in the garden from a visible, physical standpoint? Nothing. It didn't appear better. It didn't appear worse. It appeared exactly the same. The only difference was a command from God to leave it alone. Isn't it just so kind of God to give the easiest test possible? If you love me, just don't touch that tree. And look, in case you're wondering if I'm holding something back from you, look across the rest of the garden and see all the things that I've made for you. How many think that's amazing? You know, sometimes in the church, we're looking around and we're saying, oh, well, the, the, the church or the Bible says don't do this and don't do that, and, and, and I was feeling so restrictive, when in reality, we ought to look up and see all the things that God has given us that we can do, amen? That's a little side note. I won't charge you extra for that. So notice how the devil tempts Eve. He says, uh, he says uh, let me find it here, verse uh, 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and what? 
knowing good and evil. What was he tempting Eve with? He was tempting her with the exact same thing that he himself fell from heaven for. God is holding something back from you. God, there's this higher existence that you can obtain, and God is doing everything in his power to keep you from it. (laughs) Think about that. Does that exist in the world today, that same spirit? Somebody else gets a promotion at work. Well, why did they get that, right? I should have gotten it. And he tempted her with the same thing. He wanted to be God, and he wanted to be exalted, and he wanted to be in a higher level of existence, and he tempted her with the exact same thing. And she herself began to think, I can be like who? I can be like God. And so what does she do? She eats. We know the story. She eats, and she gives it to him, Adam, and he eats. That was the very first step. With that bite was the birth of spiritualism into the world. What is spiritualism? It is the desire for humanity to exalt themselves to a higher position, namely that of who? God himself. Is to cease with his will and give birth to my will. Notice this. When our parents disobeyed God, they denied and renounced their dependence on Him and fell from their high position. The image of God was marred and they became subject to death. We share this fallen nature and its consequences and we are born with their weaknesses and tendencies toward evil and self-worship. But God in Christ reconciled the world to Himself and by His Spirit restores impenitent sinners the image of their Maker. And so what was happening here? She, not, she just didn't disobey God, but she actually replaced the worship of the God of heaven with the worship of who? She valued her own self and her own desires more so than the God of heaven. How opposite is that from his character where he valued our lives more than his own, amen? So remember this? Remember these four things? Man was created to rule over nature and the authority of God. Man was created to rule over himself and the power of God. He was ordained to worship God as the creator and was uh, created to look at the creation and see the same power and nature that God had used to create the world at work in himself. Now the opposite had happened. Man began to be ruled by the carnal nature and began to worship nature. Humanity was worshiping nature even before the flood. They were building for themselves houses from the rocks, the outcrops of gems and different things. Secondly, man became a self-god and worshipped himself and would be ruled by no one else, not even a benevolent god. Thirdly, man now worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And fourthly, man now believed that power came from within and the energy and power in nature to rule others rather than himself. Isn't that interesting? Do you find that true in the world today? Now let's run quickly through this because we got just a few minutes left. And the book of Romans states this very clearly. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed creeping things. Therefore God gave them to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and notice this, and worshipped and served the creator, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That right there is the story of humanity. In the Garden of Eden, the birth of spiritualism took place when they believed the lie that you can do as thou wilt and there will be no consequence. You will never die. You can worship yourself as your own God. You can become like God and there is absolutely no consequence. And this has been the battle in the history of the Bible all the way down through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way up into contemporary times, and you still see that battle taking place right here and now. So what's very interesting is that you could actually say that disobedience to God really is what? It's a form of spiritualism, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a form of spiritualism. Every time I disobey God, it is elevating myself above Him. It is choosing God with a little g rather than the God with a big G. And now, when you look at all the stories, and we're going to go through some of these tomorrow, but notice this in Corinthians. Now all these things happen to them as an examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth have come. Is that us? Are you guys awake today? Are you, am I boring you? I hope not. Are you with me? Look at this. These have all happened to them as what? Examples and written for those upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Who is that? That's directly to our generation. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If any of you come up to me after this seminar and you say, oh, pastor, that was really wonderful, but you know, I know that I'm not going to be deceived. Get thee behind me, Satan. By the end of this week, you may think differently. Remember, notice what they were looking for. They were looking for empowerment. This is from the article in the beginning. And control and, and being empowered. Empowered to rule themselves. Do what thou wilt and let none other. The word wicca literally means to bend or shape nature to your service. You remember that the Bible says that man was created to rule over nature, right? Not to let nature control you or not to use it for your own benefit, but to rule over it justly. Occultism practices uh, astrology, chemistry, and all these things. Uh, occultists try to tap into unseen knowledge to bring about whatever effects they desire. So it's a very selfish motive. It's a very selfish thought. Neo-paganism, which is making a huge comeback in the world today, as the revival of ancient polyistic European and Middle-aged Eastern religions, and it is loosely defined as worshiping nature and the gods of nature. You remember, man went from looking at nature and seeing the power of God in his life to worshiping nature as the power of his life. We went from worshiping the Creator to worshiping the what? 
the creature. So that's the common denominator right here. It's the ultimate form of self-worship. That is the very definition of spiritualism. And the Bible says that those who practice such things, their eyes and ears are blinded. A very fascinating fact is this, and then we're going to close, is that most Wiccans, Wiccans themselves, and most occult members, they actually do not believe that a devil exists. Isn't that fascinating? They don't believe that a devil exists. They don't think that he's real. And yet at the same time, we know as Christians that there is a great controversy and that there are powers of darkness. How sad to be deceived by the very thing that you think that you don't believe in. I'm going to skip to the end here, and uh, we're going to have pray. Now let me just close with this verse right here. The Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And then Paul says very plainly, Therefore, my beloved, flee from what? Idolatry. The idolatry of self-worship through spiritualism. The idea of opposing your will against the God of heaven. And I'll tell you today that there are spiritualists, even within the church today, might even be the head deacon or the head elder of your local church. May God help us, amen, amen. to submit our wills to him. This was a very strong foundation. And uh, tomorrow we're going to get into more and more, and uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. So how many of you are planning to come back tomorrow? Don't seminar hop. Don't what? But find those people who were unhappy with their seminar and bring them along with you tomorrow. But don't you go to another one, okay? Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together and pray? How many of you want the Lord Jesus to be supreme in your life? How many of you want to worship Him? How many of you want to appreciate the nature that He created and know that He's recreating your heart through that same power? Amen? How many of you want to say, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done? We're going to be Christians and not spiritualists. Amen? We want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, not ourselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this message today. And Lord, many of us find ourselves uh, even engaged in spiritualism. The most basic, fundamental form of spiritualism is disobedience to you. And Lord, we want to repent of that today. We want to be on the path of righteousness. And as we narrow this thing down and see more specifically in the practice of our daily lives, other areas where we may be enticed by this. We pray that you'll give us victory. We pray that you'll give us strength, hope, and truth, and life from our Lord Jesus Christ. May we ever be submitted to you as our prayer today. And in these last days of earth's history, Lord, may we consider those examples of the past, turn away from them, and towards your ideal for our lives today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.